Welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast. I'm Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. We're your co-hosts on this journey of creativity and productivity. I Create Daily is for artists in every genre of creating, from musicians to writers, crafters to inventors, bloggers to entrepreneurs. I Create Daily is a movement for creators serious about your art. If you're into creating anything, this podcast is definitely for you. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Hello and welcome to another episode on the I Create Daily podcast, a movement for creators serious about their art. I'm Devani. And I'm Leora. Our guest today is an award-winning and best-selling author of Celtic mythology and folklore for the modern age, as well as an inspirational, as author of inspirational children's books. More than an author of Celtic fiction, our guest, Dr. Anne Kate Sullivan's life is deeply entwined with her appreciation of Druid legend and spirituality. Anne's love of Celtic goddesses and heroines is played out upon the pages of her novels, as well as in her spiritual teaching from the platform of her masters in literature and spiritual psychology. Anne Kate Sullivan's Legends of the Grail series includes two highly acclaimed books, Heroines of Avalon and Legends of the Grail, Stories of Celtic Goddesses, with a third in the series for 2019 titled Legends of the Grail, Kings and Heroes. Anne hasn't just written written about the ancient Celts, she has also extensively toured the British Isles in pursuit of connection with legends and roots, and and today continues to study with British experts on Celtic myth and legend. As a teacher, Anne Cates Sullivan's love loves to assist creative women and men in spiritual discoveries, as well as tutoring for emerging authors each year. We won't list all of Anne's books here, but we will link to her website where you can easily find them all, AnnKatesSullivan.com, and that's A-Y-N. In case you're following along in the audio podcast, it's spelled A-Y-N, Kates, C-A-T-E-S, and Sullivan with two L's.com. So we look forward to learning more today in this interview. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much for having me on this wonderful creative show. And so your name, A-Y-N, until I heard you on a video, I, we've been saying Ayn because we're familiar with Ayn Rand. So how did you get the spelling of A-Y-N? Well, actually, there's a, there's a fairy in Ireland named Anya. And uh, my name, if you, you spell it A-Y-N-I-A. Mm-hmm. And it can also be changed into Ayn, which means the light. So a lot of my friends call me Ain, but Anne is a lot easier to say. So we generally stick with that. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. So how did you begin your creator's journey? Was it with books or something else? Well, you're sitting there with your mother right now, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I believe that's where we begin with our, with our, yes. with our wonderful mothers. And my mother is a, is a painter. And my father, uh, who's crossed on, but he was a, a novelist, a, an incredible mm. philosopher and writer. Wow. And um, w- wasn't afraid of exploring any subject. In fact, I always wanted to stay home and study with him instead of <laughs> instead of going to school because I learned more. <laughs> so uh, you know, he would do things like um, like give me uh, the Iliad or the Odyssey to read when I was like six or something, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to put them down. So I got I got a dose of mythology early on, and my grandmother used to tell me stories of the Knights of Northumbria, who are our family. We have a, a, a farm in Virginia 
that we've had in the family, I believe, according to Ancestry.com, and we still own this house, since 1668. Wow. So, <laughs> so the Knights of Northumbria were given this uh, land grant, I believe. And um, so I had to go to Bambara. I had to go to Bambara Castle, which is where they come from in Northumbria, to find out about these people and did find out if the Lady of the Lake actually came from this area and did, did Lancelot call it the Joyous Guard and and, um, and there's a wonderful show now somebody's put together called um, The Last Kingdom, which is actually, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's with yeah. Utrud, who would be my first cousin 25 times removed. So, awesome. <laughs> so I had to go find out about these Celts. That's definitely. what started the journey. Yeah. Cool. And we'll definitely look up that show. It sounds good. So is it like, <laughs> or is it pretty well done in your opinion? Uh, it's the same people that did Downton Abbey, uh, so it's it's quite historical. The the costumes are fantastic. Of course, I love Uhtred the Bold, and uh, I think they've done a very good job. Obviously, it's very violent, but that was the time period. Right. So they were called you know, the Knights of Northumbria for a reason. They were defending their borders, but um, they're wonderful characters. It, it it works with the book I'm working on right now, too, called Kings and Heroes. So. Okay, fun. So... <laughs> So when is Kings and Heroes coming out? Do you know? I need to finish it. We're uh, probably actually, hopefully I'll finish it this year and it'll be out next year. Yeah. Okay. That'll be the third book in the series and the third book in the Legends of the Grail series. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, so you said you began with, it sounds like you had a very rich um, exposure early on to all mm -hmm. these wonderful, fantastical legends and concepts and, you know, mental and spiritual explorations. How did you go from, you know, real life scenario in the modern day America to into becoming, you know, basically where your passion and your interest and your inspiration becomes also a part of your creator's journey? So it's a really good question. So when I was eight, I told my father that I was here on earth to be a mystic poet. And he said, well, that's wonderful, but how are you going to make money doing that? Okay. <laughs> that's always that practical question, right? right. <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but I'll do it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I've had a lot of help uh, with the writing over the years. I went to Holland's College, which is an all-women's college in Virginia. It's now at Holland's University. And met incredible writers. Um, Richard Dillard was there at the time. He was such an inspiration. And I um, actually graduated from there when I was 19. I went early. I went mm -hmm. early. Nice. <laughs> was given a, um, a partial fellowship to, to um, Columbia University, to the master's program, the MFA program, and Joseph Brodsky was teaching there, and Derek Walcott, and Stanley Kunis, these amazing writers, um, Susan Sontag, and then from there I got an overseas research award to King's College London, um, so I actually really, I mean, they said you can come, but you have to go collect the folklore of Lady Gregory. So I was given a stipend to wind up wandering around the west coast of Ireland. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> I thought it would be packed. You know, I thought there'd be lots of people there just exploring the Irish literary renaissance. And nobody was there. I had to go, like, find guys on tractors and ask where sites were and try to get the sheep out of the road. <laughs> That's amazing. I bet you fun, it was very fun. So I, so um, that's actually through academia, but I've had sort of the red carpet rollout from that perspective that, I mean, Ireland is still in this, this Renaissance period. Um, 
they, you know, they want to know their own language and their own culture. They were, they were kind of persecuted people for quite a long period of time. And there was a period when if you spoke Gaelic or you told any of the stories, you'd be killed. Mm. So, so it's just now really in the past hundred years that, that people have been able to go back and, and remember the stories. And one thing I love about going to that area is that the Celtic women were so powerful. It was all about equality. You know, they weren't, they weren't furniture, like might be in another culture, but it, you know, along the West of Ireland, we, we, we meet like Queen, Queen Maeve. And in that tradition, if, um, if a man wanted to be a king, he would have to make very good friends with Queen Maeve because she would decide whether or not this would be the case. Hmm. And so the stories of the goddesses of sovereignty are all through that area. And then you can also find them in Wales and along uh, the coast of uh, Cornwall and so forth. And so they come, they, and then they emerge back into the heroines of Avalon, which is the book I, I just brought out. Right. So right. They're exciting stories for our times. Definitely. So is that, so there you are, you know, you're on this stipend academic kind of trip to explore where and when did you get the idea of beginning to write the stories? And is that where your creator's journey began? Well, I, I did my doctorate, which is in England, it's not such an easy thing to do. I think at the time I remember hearing it's like 1% of the population gets to go and then there's a 50% failure rate. <laughs> and wow. to actually pass was quite a big deal. So, <laughs> and I didn't pass at first. It, it, really, it really took me a while. I had to gather. I had to really, it's a wonderful training in a way because I really had to learn to, I had to learn uh, to footnote. I had to make sure that my references are accurate. So I have this wild imagination and I had to go to Oxford and I had to go to Trinity College and I had to go to Emory University and New York Public Library. At the time, there wasn't Google. You actually went to these places. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and I had to make sure that these wild, fantastic stories that I was coming up with were in some way related to what had been told. And um, so it was a mixture of rambling houses where you're not footnoting any, anything, you're just having a great time and um, going through Lady Gregory's diaries and journals and so forth and, and footnoting. So I eventually jumped all the hoops <laughs> and, yeah. and got through. And there's something to that. There's something to you know, sort of left brain, right brain. To um, One thing I really had to learn um, was not to write and edit at the same time. Mm. That was one thing that was really important. So I've really, I really divide um, that. Uh, so when I go to a, a place, I, I, would, I still do it. I will go to, I just went to Bryn Kelly Dew in Wales. So um, I'll get, I'm getting ready to go again. I'll, I'll go to a place and I'll, I'll listen to the land speak. There are stories in the land. It's true in North Carolina and Virginia also. Any place you go, um, some places are more saturated than others. Um, and then I meditate with the land and I allow the stories to come through. And at that point, I'm not going to, I'm not going to edit. I'm just receiving. And then in a week or so, I'll go back and I'm, I'm going to figure out how this, how this might have some structure. So, you know, from there, and if we're going into more so practical details, um, I was teaching at university and I taught, and I also worked with Kingfisher books uh, for a while. I Americanized children's encyclopedias. It's very exciting. <laughs> 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 but you know, it pays the bill, so that's good. 
And so I, I've done a lot of editing work and, or I did when I was younger. And, um, and that's good because it, it, it hones your skills. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it does. And over the years I decided I had more fun, um, teaching, um, and I, so I have some students I work with privately and I love taking people to sacred places and I love, I love just seeing people blossom, whatever their unfoldment is, you know, whatever their tradition is. Right. I just love seeing their true nature emerge. I, I, I think that's what goes on now more than anything. <laughs> so from those early years in that deep research and immersion, um, to actually publishing your first book, how long was that? And was there like um, a diversion in between? Because I think you had started, were participating in a healing center in California for a time. In I between, did. Right? I did. Um, well, the writing has, you know, there's a lot of my own healing that has gone on with the, the writing work because I, when I, when I, uh, in my twenties, when I was at university and starting to explore all this, I had really serious depressions. I, ha I couldn't, uh, I was having a lot of trouble functioning. And I would, one of the reasons I would go to these sacred places is because I felt like there was some soul loss. You know, I felt something was missing and I needed to find some aspect. And it didn't really matter that maybe I was completely funded because there was something else, something spiritual that was going on. And, um, it was at, actually in Glastonbury at Avalon where I really had an encounter with, um, I would call it the feminine face of God. And mm -hmm. Sophia, um, Lady of Avalon, she has many names. But at that point, something started to change within me and I realized that I was being asked to unfold, that I was being asked to find my true nature and my true expression. And from there, it's, it's kept going. And so much easier to tap into the joy these days. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and that's an important point about, um, you know, really depression is a little bit of um, like a phone call from the soul. It's like to let us know that something is off, you know, just like any other kind of sense of, you know, don't do this or be careful or don't touch mm -hmm. the flame or whatever it may be. There's, you know, it's another signal. It's another way of, and so it's, it's really uh, cool that as you started to sort of seek solace, for that feeling by seeking out the places that inspired and comforted you, you also were going closer toward, it seems like the work that you were to be doing that, um, that brought your soul out more and therefore less in the depression. Would that be a, a, an accurate way of putting it? I think that's absolutely accurate. I, I believe that when we feel those, those feelings of emptiness, even despair sometimes, it's really your, a cry from your soul. It's saying, no, 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 you're going the wrong direction. The grail's this way, you know, your wholeness is this way. And if we really would, will take a moment and listen, listen to that instead of medicate it or, or try to ignore it or, you know, if you really follow it, it tends to lead you to your wholeness. Yes. Which is actually what my whole series is about right now. This, this series of books and it's, and the series is, I really started writing it 35 years ago. When wow. I started going and collecting these stories, it's been a, they've been a long time coming. They've been were you, were you intentionally um, writing it like during those 35 years or was it more just like um, you were researching, you were um, letting your creativity uh, blossom and thrive in these environments that you would go and sit at and meditate with 
And then were, was the idea of your books intentional that whole time? Or was there a specific point where you're like, oh my goodness, this needs to be a story. This needs to be a series. Well, it's funny. I, I finished my doctorate. And so the stories are all tied in, in a sort of academic way with the doctorate. And then I was so fed up with academic work by the time I quit. <laughs> I graduated. I wanted to do something different. So I went into I went into teaching and I had two children and I would tell them the stories. Mm. Right? And when my daughter, so I taught the whole time they were growing up and I taught I was at the Healing Center of Santa Monica and I did a lot of spiritual teaching. When my kid my when my daughter went to university, she went to Naropa University. She called me one day from Boulder, Colorado and she goes, "Mom, I'm with all of these people and they're so depressed. They, they need your stories. Wow. Can you publish these stories? Mm. <laughs> and I said, sure. Which ones do you want? You know, <laughs> really. <laughs> and I had, I had published in, in Scotland with Fendhorn Press and I published, I had a, a chat book. I won a chat book competition in Wales and it was, I was published there. But when I, when I contacted publishers in the U.S. about these, these wild, spiritual, Celtic stories, they said, well, no one's going to read these stories. Hmm. And I said, well, I've got children's books, too. They're very spiritual, uplifting children's stories. And they said, nobody wants these stories. Nobody wants your folklore. Wow. Well, after 100 rejections, I went, and it's, it was interesting, because I was pretty used to just being picked up. Like, I, like mm -hmm. it, when I was you know, the experience I'd had before was, oh, of course we'll publish it. Of course the publishing world has changed, you right. know, part of it. So I said, well, I think I'll just start my own publishing company. So I started uh, Infinite Light Publishing and my I come in, you know how, how things come together and they just work? I come in and, and my friend Belle Ducre is sitting on my daughter's bed weeping. And I thought something terrible had happened. And I'm like, what's, what's going on, Belle? And she goes, I, I just read a story of becoming, and it's so beautiful. Can I illustrate it? Oh, wonderful. <laughs> That's this book, right? The story so, of becoming. Can you see that? The story of becoming. Beautiful, yeah. Wow. So, so I said, and my kids had, had, had illustrated it at the time with little like stick and yeah, stick figures. So she <laughs> beautiful, these beautiful drawings, and um, it's not industry standard. It's 80 pages. You're supposed to be 32 pages. No, we're 80 pages. You're supposed to have, anyway, we did everything that you're not supposed to do. It sold 250,000 ebooks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still, it's still bestseller and spiritual in the spiritual division on Amazon. So, so I realized that it's not actually true that people... No, <laughs> Yes. No, so what year were the publishers, or what approximate years were the publishers telling you that? Uh, let's see. So that was 2012. And you know, according to the Mayans in 2012 was the first time that the feminine energy has really been able to express itself on earth. Hmm. And they do, they do, there does seem to be some truth to that. So Bell illustrated this 2013. We brought it out in 2014. 2015, it won 18 literary awards. Fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's that was good. Well, so, there, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. And there were two, there are two other children's books too. They're, they're called the Sparkle series and it's about finding the spark within yourself. 
I love that. And so it was what I was going to say, the reason I, part of the reason I asked that is like when our kids were little, I was always looking for books like that. I mean, those are the kind I was looking for and hard to find. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I'm really, and I, I guess, you know, I guess, yes. And no, I'm not surprised and not surprised because traditional publishing, um, they may, maybe they're not even aware. Maybe people are not aware uh, that they may be looking for something like that, but to really encourage uh, children to recognize, you know, like the, the spiritual side of life in that way, you know, from the standpoint of the spark within themselves. I love that they're, that that's the name of your, your series as well. Uh, yeah. And it's so funny because I feel like kids would almost accept something like that the most just yeah. because we have like no preconceived notions of life yet you know <laughs> so, and and as kids and then young adults we love fantasy so much yeah. and what is fantasy but some imagined spiritual place that somebody has thought up yeah. on their own you know like <laughs> well so and, then, and of course strange that people would turn it down yeah but and remember they turned down jk rowling's too so you know, <laughs> like magical. they clearly know what they're doing and what's up right? <laughs> exactly. exactly well i mean i love it when i take it to schools when i go to schools and i read and some kids will just go that was the best book ever yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes it all worth it. It does, and they're so beautiful. So mm -hmm. it's like you have what, like nine published books now? I think ten. Is it ten? ten? I believe it's ten. Okay, it's ten. <laughs> I'm working on two other ones too. Yeah. I lose track sometimes, but yeah. yes. So yeah. which came first? Which which book published first? The first book that was published was called Tracking the Deer. And it's interesting. It's my, my first book. It was published in Wales and it was actually what I was doing last year in Wales. I was tracking a goddess named Ellen. who's actually a deer goddess. So it's, <laughs> anyway, they're all, they're all uh, intertwined. I read some of your blog posts on that. Uh, you had a blog post about uh, tapping into the energy or something like that of um, just like, try, and it, um, it reminded me of when we were younger, uh, my dad taught us how to walk in the woods uh, sort of like the Native American Indians would, like just with calmness and not the child boisterous energy of like messing up the peace in the woods. <laughs> and it was just, it was really cool. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad you saw that. She's, Ellen is a really interesting goddess. She's, she's a, the most ancient goddess of the British Isles. And some people say she came from actually from uh, during, gosh, it was, I guess, before the Ice Age was, would have come from Russia. But at that point, the boreal forest was all one huge forest. And so she was an antlered goddess in that old tradition. So you could say she was like the original Santa Claus. <laughs> she, she came with, with the gifts of intuition and understanding. Mm -hmm. And she was important at the time because it was so cold that you had to be able to keep the fires burning. The inner spark was like a real thing in the yeah. winter back then. And yeah. so um, she, she, as a goddess of sovereignty, was always teaching you at different times of the season how you unfold and how you step into the power of who you truly are. So she was quite loved in an island off the coast of Wales named, um, it's now called Anglesey, but at the time it was called Mona, and it was where the Druids and the Druidesses would train. And that's what they did. They, they were obviously indigenous people like the Aboriginal uh, Aboriginal people that know how to the dream with the land. So these Celtic people also knew how to dream with the land. And the Druid, Druid means people of the oak. Hmm. They would use the oak to travel through. So they're, they're a wonderful sort of dream, dream race. 
And so for the, between the Druids and the Celts, are they basically the same, but the Druids are like more the, like the higher level of Celts because they often were the intelligentsia or the teachers of the spirit guides, spiritual guides? Yeah, if you think, if, if you think of um, uh, the sort of the Brahmins in, in, the, in, the, in India, you know, who would be holding the high, the high traditions, the high understanding, the high learning, then the, the, um, the Druids would be the same. And they were male and female Druids. Right. So, they, so they were holding the vision of the people. There's, you know, Caesar had told everyone that they did human sacrifice and all of this. I think they found one case of that being true, and who knows if that was a sacrifice. But it wasn't, they were really the people who, who knew how to dream. They understood the liminal places, how to walk to the sea, so that you could go into the through in, in, in folktale, in Irish folktale, there are these wonderful places under the sea called Tirnaban, which is the land of women, Tirnanog, mm. uh, land under the wave. And then in the, in the um, British tradition, there's Avalon, where you sail to find the, the golden apples of everlasting life. So there are these wonderful imaginal places that are so, so much part of our psyche. You know, we can actually enter an enchanted world people go oh but it's your imagination <laughs> but yeah. it's all our imagination <laughs> yeah. and that's the origin of many of the i mean like from mermaids to other you know kind of connections and a lot of it originated there i would guess and but it's kind of hard to trace it all because my understanding is that the druids uh, their custom and their tradition was to not allow written um, continuity of their teaching and work. It was all handed down through story and mouth. And uh, is that, is that your, is that true? It's the oral telling. I don't know if you can see what I'm wearing. I'll come up close. Can you see this little necklace? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Wait, for those who are just listening, it looks like a cross, um, like a cross, but with many crosses across the, from the bottom to almost like a sword with many crosses. So it says an, an old Irish graph which means love and it's the language of the trees. So it looks like if you read the word, it looks like Agam, but you say mm. Oam. Mm. And so they did have this ancient language of the trees. Mm. So that's one way you can go. So we've, I've been to the old, if you, if you looked at some of my blog posts, sometimes you'll see I'm out in the Bear Peninsula at the, at the home of the Kaliach where, you know, maybe there's a, a, a huge uh, old Oam stone. So you can find that, but no, they, the, a lot of the myths and legends are alive because the monks and priests wrote them down. And, and you know, around the fifth century, a lot of things were written down. So we have to thank, um, actually, St. Patrick for that in Ireland. So, yeah. Nice that they wrote them down instead of getting rid of them, since right. it was sort of like an opposing religion, right? Well, it was interesting because the early in the early days, the, in the Celtic church, I think they really understood each other. They, um, you know, they, they, there's the sun god Lu, who's the god of light. And then there's Christ, who's a sun god. So they just blended these traditions. And they were actually pretty lovely at the time because they, they hadn't ousted anyone. So the Celts weren't, weren't really into duality. They were really into a, a, whole, a wholeness, a whole vision. Right. And it wasn't until later when they, actually the Celtic church was banned um, we call that the, what, the dark ages, I think you were talking about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the creation of the wasteland, um, when it became illegal to have your own personal experience. You weren't allowed to do that. You had to mm -hmm. go through an authority figure 
otherwise you were considered a heretic. So, you know, those were difficult times. And um, luckily we've come out of that. Yes. <laughs> so when you started, so your first book was the deer, sorry, the tracking the deer. It was, it won, it was a chat book. It won a chat book competition in Wales and it was published there. And, and I'm was, for the year. It was like 1991, I believe, or some, around there. And when did you, so when did you start your publishing company, Infinite Light Publishing Company, and also um, first publish The Heroines of Avalon? So I started the publishing company. Uh, I did the children's books. It was to bring out the children's books. And I started that in, I think, 2011. I started it. 2012, it was going full tilt. And we were aware that we're enter starting to enter the Aquarian age, that we've got the water bearer, you know, the, so we wanted to, to give a voice to the, to the feminine, to the well maidens that were demanding attention. And so we brought it out. Um, like I said, it was, it's really been quite successful. Um, and Legends of the Grail, I actually thought originally that Legends of the Grail would go through a traditional publisher. I was kind of surprised when it wasn't picked up. Um, and then thought, well, why should I be that surprised? There's still stories that even though I might know them because I walked along those coasts um, and was so inspired by them, they're still, they were repressed for a long time. And, and when the stories were recorded, <laughs> the downside is that almost all of, all of the women were demonized. Mm. So in each story throughout the series, in each of the, the women's stories, not so much in the masculine, but in the women's stories, um, you have, you have, uh, so, so the Kalia, who's the old woman of the world and she's great. She's a hag. She's got long teeth, she's got one eye, you know, <laughs> but she can shape shift and be the, this young, beautiful maiden. You never know quite how she's going to appear. She might even appear as a cat, but she's, so she got demonized as the witch. And in the old, and in the old Celtic tradition, Wiki meant wise woman. She was like mm -hmm. the healer who would come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was the one that would help you find your wholeness. And so, yes, she probably did have a cauldron, but it might be a cauldron for you to look into to see the truth of, your, of who you are, the truth of your, of your true face, your true expression, your soul. So, she, so recovering her was really fun. And I actually went up to, to some of her. She has a few different places in Scotland and Ireland where you can go and really commune with her and her cairns. And... Um, Anyway, it's always fun to, to go and do that. And then in Wales, in the Welsh sense, we have a story such as Ludaiwith, who's known as the, the murderer and adulteress, who was turned into an owl to cry who in the forest for all time. <laughs> and I was there going, I don't think I can leave this flower goddess in the forest crying out for all time. Yeah. So I've, <laughs> I've been a complete heretic. And I've, so I've given the... Um, the story as it's been, as it was given traditionally. And then I sit with them and I allow them to speak and tell their story so you can understand why they did the things that they did. And you generally understand why they got their reputation. Yes. <laughs> and then um, I give ways to, to continue to work with the archetype at the end of the story. So it's fun, they're very fun. Yeah, so, and it sounds like, uh, do you do workshops from, as a, as a like a, a continuation of your books in a way then? I do, some, I do some, yes. I do some, sometimes I take people on tours. Um, some people, sometimes I just work with 
you know, these days you can work on Skype, you can do yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. So people who are interested in it. And I, one of my goals in recovering the story. So I learned the stories a long time ago and they didn't really come back. They didn't come back into, it was kind of interesting. They didn't come back until I started going through menopause and I got really, really ill going through menopause. Um, and really went into a very liminal place myself. And, and my, I think my doctors were worried I wasn't going to make it. And I started having um, dreams about Dendrana, and, or some people say Dendrain, I like to call her Dendrana. And she's actually in um, Arthurian legend. She is the first grail winner. No one ever talks about her. They always talk about Percival or somebody else. But the, a woman was actually the first one to achieve the grail and open the gates to Steros to help to the grail heaven. She started coming to me and saying, write my story, write my story. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, and you know, when you're, you're a creative person, so you'll understand that when you're in that in between, you're still, you're almost in a dream. I was weak and I was kind of in this dream. I, that's when I wrote down all the stories. They came just as a, one after the other, after another. And they were like, please tell our tales. Please help us come out of the wells. Please yeah. help our voices come wow. back again. And I wrote them. And um, again, you know, publishers are like, no, 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 we're not doing that. You didn't stick to the traditional way of doing things. I was like, well, what's new? And <laughs> <laughs> so I, I launched um, Legends of the Grail, Stories of Celtic Goddesses. In I think it was October of 2017, it sold out the first day. I thought maybe 50 people would come to the launch. We had 250 people here, which I was not expecting. Nice. And yeah, we sold out. This book sold out of print four times. So, <laughs> so it's they've been going grail, great. They've been going grail. They've been going great. <laughs> the grail has been going great. Yeah. And um, so yes, I think there's something you know the. The, the Grail legend has, is the most told legend in Western civilization. I mean, if you, if you listen to, um, to just about any mythologist, I mean, if you, if you go online and just look it up, you have Arthurian legend here and there, right? You, we love Merlin, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, did, I just finished a book about his, um, his beloved. So anyway, that'll be out soon. Yes. Yeah, so, so, oh, you yeah. mean you finished writing it about yes. his? Oh, fantastic. And what's yes. the title of that? It's uh, probably be, will be retitled, but it's about his beloved Nimue. So oh. I had to actually stand in a waterfall in Cornwall to download that one. <laughs> well, I've been on some wild adventures just to write your books. Yeah, so that's and to really cool. I mean, that's why it's like, it's so cool that you're writing these because there's such an immersion in your own psyche and how you think about the world and spirituality and such. And Well, I think what's really amazing, and we were talking to somebody else uh, the other day who also a lot of his art comes from his meditations and just sitting and you know feeling that energy but I think what's really cool about creativity in general and the way you're going about it is just that now is a time where so many people are looking for alternative stories alternative ways to view life just life in general so they're looking toward these resources that offer different perspectives than what they've been told so 
uh, it's just really cool. I'm glad you kept publishing, even though yeah. all those publishers were like, nope, that's not going to sell. And you kept going, yeah, and I'm a little, I mean, I get the traditional publisher mindset, and, you know, it's like certain formulas, formulaic. It's got to fit this formula for it to work. And yet the other side of me that just like is baffled is because the King Arthur legends, you know, mm. and like you said, Merlin, they're just so deeply etched in our psyche that I think we all love them and have yeah. always loved them. And that's why there's so many Lancelot, Arthur, yeah. you know, stories basically. And so, you know, I, I, it would seem to me that these would be in demand um, and hopefully and there will be- they clearly are. Yeah, and that would be increasingly so. And hopefully, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you have your sights set on, you know, wouldn't it be great to see it on the big screen, right? Sure. Oh, they'd be marvelous movies. I mean, if you can imagine, the, the Legends of the Grail begins with a story from the Labragabala. The, the Labragabala was the original, for a long time, was considered the history of Ireland. It's not considered myth. So it starts with, this woman named Kaysar. And Kaysar was the granddaughter of Noah, but mm. she was in the wrong lineage. She wasn't in the lineage of Abel, she was in the lineage of Cain. So when, when Noah built the ark, he said she wasn't allowed to board. Now, the thing with, with Kaysar is that she, was, she had wild hair and visions and she knew that this flood was gonna happen. So she said, well, I guess I'll just build my own ark and put my friends on it and my herd of horses, which she does. <laughs> and she set sail to Ireland. And so in the middle of this wild, dark sea, the goddess of Ireland, Eru, comes and, and grabs the ship and brings her ashore. So in the Labragabala, this woman, this feisty woman, is the first woman to set, set foot on Ireland, the Irish shore. And I think that's one reason that the, the, those in the Western world there, the, the women are so ferocious. They have a long history. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as a creator and author, um, you know, what advice can you give to um, existing and aspiring authors toward bringing, you know, like manifesting their own vision of stories? Um, like, I guess another way of saying it would be what in your experience has been the most successful efforts that you've made toward writing and bringing your own um, ideas to life in story? I don't do anything the way that you're supposed to. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that's entirely true. I did. I I jumped the hoops for my for my master's and doctorate the way you're supposed to. In my twenties, I did that. And after that, my you know my tutor my tutors would say, um, you know, don't write fiction. You you just you won't find success that way. You know, don't write poetry. And um, but the thing is, that's what really lives in my heart. And that's what really mm. inspires me. And so when I, when I start to come out of the dream world in the morning, I'm still merged with that other world. I, I write. I write just what's coming to me from, my, from the characters that live with me in those other worlds. And it inspires me. You know, I get up every day. I feel like I'm attuned to the earth, to the mm. stars, to the, to the seas. and um, and I, so I think following, finding your personal vision and following that, following what's in your heart is really important. And the grail quest, they always say um, the most important thing is to ask the right questions because mm -hmm. then the next part of your story opens up. Nice. That's a good mm -hmm. one. So 
of all the things that you do to help sell your books and get the work out there and get them discovered, such as podcast interviews and all the other, um, what things are the most productive for you uh, towards selling more books and getting your work out there? Um, I, I have found over the years, I've made a lot of friendships with um, distributors. So distributors really help um, here in, in the UK. Um, so find, finding those people. And so I've, I've been to a lot of book fairs like BEA and I go to the London book fair, go to the Frankfurt Bologna book fairs and just talk to people. I have foreign rights agents. So, so foreign rights agents are really good too, because even if maybe a, an American publisher is not picking it up, maybe someone in say Finland or Spain or somewhere wants your story. So that helps financially. Um, so uh, podcasts, sometimes I'll do a radio show and 200 books will sell after the show. Wow. You know, so that can be really, really helpful. So um so I think, you know, in a way it's word of mouth, but in a way it's just believing in yourself and just going. And, and every time that there's, I, there was a children's uh, event at the museum the other week. So I went and, and did that and we're going to have one at a coffee house. And even if two people show up or three people, you might have 400 people, you don't know, but just to show up and, and, and share what inspires you, you know, to just be willing to get out there and share the story. Um, whenever there's an opportunity as well as to seek the opportunities. You mentioned uh, the foreign rights. That's a really good point and a good strategy. What would you, how, uh, how would somebody go about connecting with a foreign rights agent? Oh, uh, you know, you can, you can do it online. One second. Um, you can go online and find people or you can get an artist and writer's book, your book to find people. Um, but I find it's best if you meet people in person and so I, that's why I go to the big fairs. And well, the other, the thing that's probably helped me the most that I didn't mention is award ceremonies. So mm -hmm. I've won in the past few years, I've won 36 literary awards. Fantastic. Wow. And, and, um, and that really helps because my book is winning, you know, against other books that were chosen over mine at publishing houses. So that's kind of interesting, you know? So how do you get submitted for those awards? Like, you know, in order for your book to be considered, is that a submission process? Yes. You have to go through, you have to look at the, um, the genres and categories. It's, it, it, um, I mean, you can Google it or you can look in a writers and artists yearbook to see which are the best awards for your book. So if independently published books are, are usually in different award ceremonies than traditionally published books, but not all the time. They're, they're uh, events like, I mean, uh, award ceremonies like um, Nautilus. Nautilus is a really great one. It's one of my favorites. Um, the independent book publishers, IBPA mm -hmm. has a great award ceremony, uh, Benjamin Franklin Awards. Then you have, um, then some states will have their own too, like um, uh, SIPA has the Evie Awards and actually Legends of the Grail won all four fiction categories there last year. So that was, <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting that. That was, that was super. Um, what are some, I, IBPA, if you're an independently published author, I would say join them. They, because they have a lot of information. They're great people. They're not trying to rip you off. They have services if you want to join. Um, oh, so other things, um, getting people to review your books. 
are really good, especially if they'll go on Amazon and, and get an ebook copy and then do a verified purchase review. I try to get um, 50 reviews for, for my books and it's hard because they're not supposed to be your friends. So, right. um, so you, you have to do a big outreach for that. Sometimes you have to have a giveaway or something, you know, you give like um, maybe pre-launch books away. And if they'll, if somebody will write a review for you, um, you can't, you're not supposed to pay for it. So it's got to be, you know, it has to be that kind of out, outreach. Um, the other thing is to get reviewed by say, um, Clarion reviews are really excellent. Blue Ink does reviews. Um, uh, so there's some others. So if you get some, some, a really good review from some of those people, uh, also readers favorite, they're really good and they have a great, award ceremony writers digest is another one so i try to contact uh sorry what about goodreads do you do yeah. uh, my books are on goodreads yeah the goodreads is uh, um it can be really helpful i haven't seen a ton of book sales coming from there but maybe i i, I could do more with that site but it's good to have goodreads good um and you you do get real uh, you know, you get trolls. You so see, you have to be okay with the fact that somebody will give you a one star and maybe hopefully almost everybody else will give you a five star. Yeah. But the, but the, the ratings really help and, and the reviews. So, cause when you go to buy a book, of course you're going to look, you're going to say someone's go, oh, it's not my cup of tea. And then someone else is going to go, Oh wow. I didn't really know about this goddess. And now I'm, you know, my DNA is now linking me to this, you know, whatever. <laughs> so you hear these, these great things. I love, love, love getting emails from readers who, who are inspired in some way. So that, that helps. But so I would say award ceremonies really help. And if you think, okay, I've got to, you've got to spend $50 to enter an award, a, a, what, one category. Um, but if you're going to hire somebody, a PR agent to do this work for you, it's going to be several thousand dollars. So you have to make sure that you're going to have enough book sales to be able to handle that PR. Right. So, you know, or you're, or you're going to have a, 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 you know, enough teaching classes, workshops or whatever right. that, can, that can bring in enough income. So, uh, so that's a way to do PR. That's $50, which most yeah, of the, that's fantastic. Know. That's, yeah. um, I think you're one of the first guests, uh, author guests we've had on that has discussed that strategy. And so it's really great that you brought that up. Mm -hmm. And as you know, so like as a self-published author um, or, and with your own publishing company, you know, like we're wearing all the hats and yeah. there's such, you know, so many steps to it, but again, it's a journey and each step of the way gets you closer. Um, so of all those things that you've done since you've been doing it for long enough now that you've kind of dabbled in a number of them, if you could only do three things, uh, do you know, like have a good sense right off the top of your head, what three things are the most productive that, that any aspiring author could start with first? You mean in terms of writing your book, editing your book, or publishing, or In terms of the awards that we were talking about, as far as ways of getting exposure. Yeah, exposure, exposure for, for a, a book that's complete. Yes. You know, I, I'll, I'll say one thing before, before anything else is probably the most important thing is to have a really good editor that's your ally. So that when you put a book, because anybody can go on, you know, anybody can create a book and, right. and publish it. There's so many books now. Right. So, so, and then how do you get to the top? Well, you want to make sure, first of all, you don't have typos, you don't have spelling mistakes, and that you have beautiful books and you have a message that's needed. So right. if you have that, 
then the next thing you want to do is go go to you can just google it just best best awards for fantasy fiction right for yes. traditionally or independently published it'll come up you'll have a list or get the um artists and writers yearbook for 2019 look it up and then pick 10 10 award ceremonies say and enter your book see what happens worst case scenario you won't win anything yeah but, you know you, you won't have have lost much right. um so that really helps um you know if you have if you make a relationship with a with a really great pr person who's not going to rip you off but actually delivers that can really really help too but i would really check that out and talk to people at say the independent book publishers association so my three things are join if you're independently published join ibpa or if you're in britain join alley um or both um, so that's one thing. So now you're part of a, of a group that's speaking. Right. Then choose your award ceremonies that you want to do. And three, make sure that when your books are printed, there are lots of ways to print books. You can do some kind of cheap trade paperback, POD. I don't really recommend it. You can, you can find beautiful printers and have excellent high quality books that people will want to buy. And it's worth it. You, you know, you can print five, 500 minimum run and have some lovely books that you ship. So, and you can have, you know, now you can have eBooks print on demand. You can have, you, you can do it so many different ways, but those usually when people, when young authors come to me and we start with their book, I just published a couple of people. One, one woman, it's taken actually four years to get her book out, but it's done. It's beautiful. It'll launch soon. Another British woman recently, and I love seeing the whole process of the, you know, the, the story, the beginning story. They have some idea of something they want to do. And then you have the whole editorial process, which is brutal, <laughs> always. <laughs> but it's really important. The editorial process is as important as the writing. Well, yeah. That's what helps you improve as a writer, too, besides just writing every day or writing regularly the editorial and having that outside perspective from somebody who's constructively critiquing your work is just what helps in the craft of writing absolutely you need that person and not someone who's going to destroy you but somebody who's really going to say you know i really didn't get this scene here can you describe some more or you know this is a little too much or i didn't you know you need you need that outside person because I'm assuming that if, if you're a writer, you're, some, you're already somebody who writes two or three hours at least every day, right? So that's, you, got, you actually have to move your fingers or your pen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's that part. <laughs> but if you have that down, you know, yeah. it's, a lot of it's just being steadfast and being willing to hang in there. And probably the biggest thing is being willing to handle criticism and rejection. Yeah. And, and, and it's sparkly and happy no matter what. <laughs> right. right. Well, and then here's the thing. It's far better to get that from an editor yeah. uh, in the process of refining your work and your writing than yeah. to get a book out there and get bad reviews and have it sit there and never sell. So, um, Because that's like your first impression, especially if it's your first published book ever. That's like your first impression. And people, if they remember, well, your first book kind of just sucked because you didn't do that work ahead of time even if it took several years then it's hard to recover yeah. from that it is hard I to mean, recover you can but yeah you can recover but it's hard it's better just to get it right yeah, yeah. absolutely and, and even if you have a fantastic beautiful book that's that you know you're still going to get some criticism right 
But at least if you really believe in your book and you believe in your product and to you, it's really a gift to humanity and it's something I want you want to leave your children, then do it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned about PR and uh, working with PR people. Have you, have you worked with PR people and what are some of the things you would recommend to look out for or ask PR people so you know that this is somebody who would actually get behind your work and help you as opposed to just being a waste of time and money? It, this is, it's, it's a tricky thing because, you know, everybody wants to be a famous author and everybody I've ever met has a children's story. So, um, and then there, there's some people who are actually workers who, who will complete this and do it and follow through. Good point. Yeah. Now, the, the, um, the thing with PR people is that everyone's trying to make money. And so they'll say, oh, if you give me $5,000, if you give me $12,000, if you give me whatever, I'll make sure that you have a meeting with some great publisher and most of it's bogus. And um, so you have to be really careful. You have to really sift through people and find out who's real. That's why I said join IBPA. Yeah. Because the people that I've met through there have been great. I mean, I don't know if all of them are great, but the, yeah. they've, you know, they've been really good. I love Jackie LaPan, for instance. She's marvelous. Um, and she's real. Um, and there's some others that I won't mention that I wouldn't work with, but they're not part of IBPA. Right. So just be careful, you know, just because someone says, oh, you're going to have, if you work with me, you're going to have a best-selling book. It might or might not be true. Right. So, so yeah. Do you, um, you mentioned some of your authors that you've taken to print. Are you actively accepting uh, new author applicants to, for your publishing company? Well, I'm in the process of moving Infinite Light Publishing from California to Virginia. So this year we're closed. Okay. Um, but while that's happening, I'm still working with authors who are, are writing their books. And so, and I'm helping them. You can still self-publish with, you know, you don't have to be through my company. Right. So um, I still help writers who are coming up with ideas and who are publishing their books. And um, I do, I do some of that. Okay. Well, yeah. before we let you go, could you show us your beautiful books? Could you just show them yes. to the people you're seeing this on video? For those <laughs> who are not, we'll put the links in the show notes. Here's um, here's Av Heroines of Avalon. Beautiful part. Mm -hmm. Can yeah. you see the rabbit? Yes, yeah, beautiful. beautiful. And this one, it does have lovely illustrations um, done by Velcro Ducray. And they're, they're in black and white, but you can see this is the goddess Erin Rude. Wow. And, and um, so there's some lovely illustrations. And oh, gosh, we didn't even ask you about your, how did you collaborate? So how does that work? What is the author-illustrator uh, collaboration like, like generally? Like if, because we have a lot of both in our community, yeah. and I'm sure over time that there will be collaborations. What is that arrangement typically, do you know? Maybe. Well, I've been really lucky with Belle. I, I mentioned earlier in the show that, um, that with this book, A Story of Becoming, which is our first like big, uh, big success. Um, let's see if I can find a great picture in here. So this is, this is one of her full color illustrations. Wow, beautiful. Oh, wow, it's a human form in the tree trunk. That's lovely, mm. yeah. Yeah, she, she's a, a, an incredible artist, and she got my vision, absolutely got my vision. Um, and uh, here, here's another one. So the, 
of the golden apple tree. Yeah. This, this um, book is related to the Avalon and the, the place of the golden apple. So anyway, so she, she just wanted to be my illustrator. So we worked out, I pay her per illustration and you, you, you know, it's something you got to, you got to figure out what, you know, how, how it financially will work out. And then she just completely dedicated herself to seven of my books. Wow. Aww. Fantastic. So and and doing a children's book is much more, you know, than right. and so then really finding the person who can see your vision or just ca catches it and they know that, you know, that like they just understand it and they get it. And they already knew each other. They already had a synchronicity, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, and compatibility so that I think that that would be really relatively easy for yeah. writers and, and artists to make that connection, to know who they connect with and who they don't, even before they get started. And I really like the model. We were talking about that just yesterday, Devani and I, that it just makes sense. It's easier, I think, for in, in the beginning for an author and um, so that for the writer and illustrator, for the writer to just go ahead and pay the illustrator upfront for all the paintings, because yeah. it's really hard to track all the commissions and the percentages of profit, especially after advertising and all the overhead that's a part of publishing. So yeah, that's a good. Well, what's cool about that too, is then you have two people champ championing a project, yeah, you know, true. you have yeah. the illustrator because they want to add it to their portfolio anyway, regardless of if it's royal, like it could be royalties. It could, they could have been just straight up commissioned to do the project, but it, it's always helpful to have like those extra people who are part of your project saying, Hey, we did this thing and this collaborative effort and you should check it out. It was so true because when like with legends of the grail, my friend bell started reading them. She said, Oh my gosh, these stories are amazing. And I said, you know, no, none of the publishers want them. She goes, why? I want them. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, so, <laughs> so these, uh, you know, we'd have these synchronicities and then I would go to her house and she'd say, look, I have this drawing. This yeah. is so-and-so. Oh and, um, and so she, she really kept me inspired during the whole project. Actually, she, she'd be great to have on your show, you know, to talk yeah. about. Yeah, we'd love to. She's, a, she's an interior designer, but what she always wanted to be was an illustrator, and it just happened. Wow, that's amazing. I don't know how many awards now as an illustrator. She's, she's doing incredibly well. Wow, that's fantastic. We definitely will get her contact information from you because we'd definitely yeah. like to, to interview her. That, can we see the second book as well? So I, I showed you her once. Avalon. So this one's Legends of the Grail. This is the first book in the series, Legends of the Grail, Stories of Celtic Goddesses. Okay. And in my, in my version, the grail, the holy grail is the feminine. Mm. We're wow. going in search of the feminine that has been lost. Wonderful. So each, um, each story actually has a picture that Belle did, an amazing picture of a grail. And then hopefully soon we'll have cards. But anyway, so each one will have a grail in yeah. that song, the cup yeah. that we're sipping from, from each goddess. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I hope some of that helps and inspires definitely. and uh, it definitely and you said that and that um, you uh, respond and you love to hear from your readers um, so we hope that people will buy your book and then send you an email and also um, get leave a review on Amazon yes. because it means so much to authors for that and you know it's an interesting thing because prior to getting becoming Amazon sellers ourselves and also we have an author in our family um, we never thought to leave a review 
I mean, it just, it was yeah. just some, an extra thing to do that we just never did. Um, we read them though. <laughs> well, actually, well, so my dad did. your dad did, right. And he reads them, would always read their reviews. I never paid attention until I discovered that, hey, it's, you know, it might be a good idea to do that. But the point is now it's in our consciousness. But I think for many people, it still isn't. It's just yeah. something they don't think about. And yet it makes all the difference for a writer as far as, like you said, sort of like, it's like, um, you know, the seal of approval from the public. And it doesn't, not having the reviews doesn't necessarily mean it's not a good book. It just means that they haven't had any kind of marketing behind the book and asking people to leave reviews that the next book might have had, right. typically. Yeah, that's really true. You have to get, you have to make sure you get your genre right. That really helps too. And then what will happen is if you get, 50, I think it's over 20, but definitely if you get 50 uh, five-star reviews, your ranking goes way up. Right. And then people will see your book. And so it really, really helps with sales when you do that. Definitely. Well, yeah. Anne, thank you so much for spending this time with yes. us. We kept you over because we had so much fun with you and you <laughs> shared such wonderful nuggets of wisdom uh, as well as inspiration and intrigue uh, for our audience. Do you have any final, oh, what is your email if people want to write to you? Oh, my email is my first name, A-Y-N at infinitelightpublishing.com. Okay. And again, we'll put that in the show notes as well for anyone who's driving or jogging or whatever uh, yeah. during the episode. Do you have anything else you want to say before we go? Um, you know, on the Grail Quest, which, is, I've, which I've been on for 35 years now. So on the Grail Quest, we achieve our wholeness when we ask the right questions. That's what we've been doing here, you know. But, we, but when we keep asking questions, when we keep discovering more and more when we, when we keep that wondrous child within ourselves and we are able to enter the enchanted worlds, life is wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for the I Create Daily podcast. Please let us know what creatives you would like us to interview and what topics you would be interested in hearing more about. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. We value your feedback. We read all the reviews and it just helps us get the word out on the I Create Daily podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.